Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Join me at the 10th Annual Media Excellence Awards on January 18th in Beverly Hills, California. The attendees and I will be celebrating innovation and leadership in technology and entertainment. There are 20 award categories with 1,000 nominees. These awards honor those who are creating groundbreaking technology to better our lives and celebrate the hard work, determination, and brilliance in the leadership within the companies which create the new world we live in today. I will be recording nominees and winners at the awards. For tickets and more information, go to MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mark Deachen. He's the Senior Vice President of Programming and Operations at Buzzer. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you've done and are currently doing is actually really interesting to me. And as we kind of get through the the, the interview, um, you know, basically you've worked on some huge stuff that I think a lot of people watch kind of every day. But maybe before we kind of get into your day-to-day job and kind of what you do, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh yeah, sure. I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm excited to be here too. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I am, uh, I am one of the few uh, native Angelinos. <laughs> so uh, I was born and bred here in nice. LA uh, and, and stayed here uh, mainly because I was, I, I kind of grew up in the business. My dad worked for Disney for many, many years. Very cool. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of grew up with a taste for it. Um, and even though my dad didn't really want me to go into it, uh, I, I, I kind of found my way back to it. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so, so walk me through kind of, you, you went to university. What did you take in university? And then we'll kind of continue from there. Yeah. So I went, I went to, I went to USC, okay. uh, undergraduate and, and, and I mean, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I went there really to swim. Okay. Uh, I was a swimmer in college and, uh, you know, and, and, and I was a business major, a marketing major, undergraduate. And, you know, halfway through my career, there, I ended up getting sick and having to retire from swimming. So really started focusing more on on media and things like that. And, and my undergraduate, I left uh, really focusing on advertising. And I worked uh, I worked for for Team One Advertising here in L.A., um, the Lexus account and on Forex Beer and Yonex tennis oh, wow. rackets and golf clubs. You know, it was like some, some fun accounts to really work on and uh, learned a lot. But really, my passion was was more kind of on the entertainment side. So I ended up going back to I went back to grad school. I went back to USC film school uh, and got my master's there. And I was a Starkey. Uh, it's a small producing program at USC uh, and then came out and worked. And then, you know, I ended up finding my way to Disney, oddly okay. enough, uh, but at a production company. So I, I did I did feature film development and production. I uh, worked on movies like Mission to Mars and Mighty Joe Young and things wow. like that. And uh, and 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 then 
you know, the, the industry, you know, right around 2002 went through a monumental shift. Okay. Uh, when I went, when I, when I got to Disney, there were 82 producer deals. I worked at one of the, I worked for one of those producers. And when I left, there were eight. Oh, wow. So, Huge. Uh, and all, all of the jobs that went along with that, the, you know, the, the development jobs, the assistance jobs, the VP jobs, the, the, all of those jobs that went along with each one of those producers, they disappeared and they disappeared industry wide. So, uh, you know, it, it was funny. I, for, for probably about two years there, I interviewed for, I think I probably interviewed for a dozen, 15 different jobs, only one of which they actually hired somebody. Wow. Uh, so like either the, either the producers deal went away or they say, Oh, well, we figured out, you know, the, the budgets changed. Right. So then it was, Oh, we figured out how to do the job, do the run our business with one less person. Or it was, it was really, really an amazing thing. And I ended up focusing on new media. Okay. And that's, you know, and I, and, and, and the great thing was, is that, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate that I had great relationships at many of the talent agencies uh, here in LA, and they were also exploring new media at sure. the time. They were just starting to get into it. Uh, so I ended up meeting with the, the team over at William Morris, and which is now William Morris Endeavor. And they said, hey, so we've got this cell phone company. And you know, at the time, I, I mobile entertainment wasn't really a thing yeah, yeah. and uh, my, my reaction was i know how to make a phone call on my phone <laughs> so uh sure. so i met with them and it was a really it was a really interesting business proposition because it was amped mobile and for those who remember amped mobile yeah, it really I do was for sure. very first, yeah it was one of the very first uh cell phone companies that was was a hundred percent focused on what you could do with your phone finding entertainment on your phone and videos and, and, uh, and things like that. Surfing bed. Uh, Verizon had Vcast at the time, which was probably the most popular entertainment portal, but we were 100% focused on entertainment. And we, you know, we, it, and I went in and I, and I really helped establish the, the entertainment profile in the sense of, you know, deals with studios and with the net and the television networks and things like that. And it really started off with clips of shows. And you know, I'll never forget that Aqua Teen Hunger Force yeah. was our <laughs> number one. Like, people would watch those videos more than anything else at that time. I, I was so probably one of those really people. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was a real education in, in kind of what worked on mobile and what worked in a digital landscape. Uh, you know, and, and, and we really were, you know, we were really breaking a lot of ground there. And I went from being a traditional development production executive to learning how to read XML, right? So really kind of getting my feet in, getting into the weeds and knowing how the technology worked, you know, transcoding on the fly, all of those things that are commonplace for us now. Sure. Uh, those were all those were all brand new in 2005 when we launched. So and 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 then also worked on the very one of the very first linear streaming products, which was Amp TV, which we had MTV and we had you know a number of the Viacom products and, and channels that we would stream live 
sure. uh, over your phone. So you know, that was that was a great that was a great way for me to kind of just get into a new digital landscape using the things that I had learned, you know, both at school and both and 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 at Disney. So. Uh, and then that's how that's kind of how I ended up in the in the digital space. Sure. Uh, I went from there. I went to Sony, uh, and I was originally hired there to to help develop their. So, a lot of people don't know, but Sony owns about 160 television networks around the world. Oh wow! Very yeah. few in the United, very very few in the United States. Interesting. But a ton overseas. Uh, and super successful in countries like India, Central Europe, uh, Italy. Uh, so really, really, really power. And then you know Singapore uh, is their their hub in in Asia. Uh, so you know, Korea is very they're very strong in Korea as well. So they have the number one cable channel in Japan, which is called Animax, which is an anime channel. And so I really went in to help revitalize what they were doing on the web which was convert their websites from basically marketing platforms saying, Hey, these channels are on at the, these shows are on at this time on this channel to being a, a portal for content, whether it had been clips, uh, catch up television, that kind of stuff. And really made that transition to a more, you know, digital entertainment websites. So while I was there doing that, they decided they wanted to launch channels in the United States. And, uh, and one day they, they, they came to me and they said, hey, can you program a movie channel? And I said, uh, yeah, sure, of course <laughs> I can. You know, never having programmed, fully programmed an entire television network ever. I said, yeah, sure, of course I can do that. Uh, so they said, great, here's a list. By Monday, can you have a, can you have a month for us? And uh, this was Friday afternoon. Wow. So I said, yeah, of course, no problem. I can do that. <laughs> I spent the entire weekend trying to figure out what I was going to do. Luckily, from being in film school, it was really, I, I was really fortunate that I was super familiar with, this, with the Sony library, with the Columbia library. So I knew the movies. I'd seen most of them. You know, that, so that, that was, that was uh, and it was, it was a kind of a TCM type of channel. So it was really focused on, on the older movies in the library. And uh, I put that together. I walked in on Monday. They took a look at it. They said, that, this is great. We're going to go pitch this to DirecTV on Thursday. Can you come with us? And, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so, you know, all of a sudden, I found myself with a completely new job at Sony. And it, it was great. It was, it was one of those, like, it was unexpected. It was, uh, it was challenging. I was doing something completely new. I was, to be perfectly honest, I was completely out of my depth at the very beginning. Uh, but, you know, it was something that, 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 I also had the luck of having worked on the operations side at Amped, where I was able to handle the operations side of the channel as well. So I was able to do dual duty, both as a, a as a technical person as well as a creative person. So um, I did that for a little while. We, I mean, we launched uh, Sony Movie Channel. We launched Cine Sony, which is a Spanish language uh, channel, and it was yeah again luck you know, smiled upon me. I'm Cuban. I speak fluent Spanish. I know the marketplace. So, you know, I, I continued to program that channel as well. And then we launched Get TV, uh, which was a, a dot two. Okay, which sure. All the, which, you know, which brings me to kind of where TV sits now and the challenges that cable operators are having with 
with cord cutting and things like that. And these dot two channels really provided an interesting business, you know, model where you were going back to traditional, traditional broadcast TV. So the cord cutters could get you via their digital antenna, but you were still getting cable coverage through your affiliations with whoever your, you know, your parent channels were. So for, uh, for Get TV, it was Univision was really the, the the big partner, and so wherever Univision had cable coverage, they used their put with the cable company to launch Get. And we did the same thing at Buzzer when I came over to Fremantle. Uh, Fremantle owns the largest library of game shows in the world. Sure. And they decided, and you know, and. and and we live in a world where all of a sudden now the long tail of old content allows you and the, combined with digital platforms allows you to really monetize that. And that's what we did here. We took, you know, we took Family Feud with Richard Dawson and Match Game with, uh, with Gene Rayburn and Super Password and Press Your Luck and Supermarket Sweep and all of these old TV game shows that that were kind of languishing in our, in our library and maybe getting a little bit of play on, on game show network, but not a ton. And we built an entire channel around it. And we've seen, we've seen great, great, great response from the audience. Uh, It's a super passionate, I would, I would equate it to the sci-fi audience. Okay. Really, really, really passionate about the genre. And we have a super loyal fan base. Uh, and, and, and the great thing about it is, is that as, you know, obviously Steve Harvey's Family Feud was already a big success before us, but since we launched, uh, ABC brought back to tell the truth. They brought back match game with, uh, Alec Baldwin and sure. we've really been able to do dual duty in that, in that, in that kind of revival. One is having all of the old classics of those of those game shows available to an audience that loves them, but also leverage that fan base that is so loyal to our channel with the new production and say, okay, here's here's to tell the truth. Here's a, a, a marathon of to tell the truth. Don't forget that Sunday it starts on ABC at eight o'clock. So then all of a sudden, Fremantle being the producer of to Tell the Truth on ABC is leveraging its asset in Buzzer to make that show a success. Interesting. It's hyper-targeted, right? You're sure. speaking to the very fans who are going to go to ABC to watch that show. Yeah, that's, that's actually quite fascinating. And you're right. Like, I do find myself... Like, I'm 34, just so you have some context. But... Um, I do find myself sometimes watching some of the shows that you grew up watching kind of in the late 80s, early 90s when they're like reruns and you're like, I remember watching this as a kid, right? And and it, yeah. that's basically it sounds like you're almost capturing that same kind of market, right? Like people love the stuff that they kind of grew up watching, at least in my experience they seem to. And it sounds like you have the same yep. success. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing, we're seeing, we're, we're seeing a really nice synergy between production and the channel. And, and, and at the end of the day, the, cha- you know, the channel is offering us the ability to go back to, into our library 
which by the way, is all on tape. It's on three quarter. I mean, we've got stuff that's still, in, you know, on kinescope wow. that we are, we're, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're talking, we, we found, you know, we, we, we went back. So when to tell the truth launched on, on ABC, we wanted it to be something really special. So we started going back into our library and seeing what was available. And then we called the guys at CBS okay. who aired it, who aired it originally. And they, and they had just updated their database. This is like, again, this is talking about how new technology allows you to find old things and leverage, you know, kind of older technology. Sure. They had just redone yeah. their database. So they searched by truth. Oh, interesting. And, some, and it came up, and it came up that they had, they had the film stock of nothing but the truth, which was the name of the original pilot of To Tell the Truth. Wow. And it, and it hadn't been seen since the 50s when it was originally aired. That's cool. So it was awesome. We were able to find this. We, 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 you know, we sent it out. We remastered it. We, we, got, we really cleaned it up. It's, it was beautiful. Mike Wallace was the, you know, 60 Minutes was the host. And all of a sudden, we were able to do something really, really special. We were able to show the original Nothing But The Truth pilot episode on Sunday before the launch of To Tell The Truth, which was on Tuesday on ABC. Sure. And it was such a great, such a great synergistic opportunity for the company. And, you know, and you get those people who are just, so, they're such big fans. And then they say, and, and then they find out that it's coming back and they get even more excited. So we just went out and got a uh, supermarket sweep sure. and, we are, and we're bringing it back. It starts on the, on the 15th. It starts next Monday. And our, as soon as we announced it, the whole fan base went bananas because they'd been asking for it since we launched. Really? And uh, yeah, so we it took us a little while to track down all the tapes and do everything and get them get them sorted out and get them get them ready for for air. But we're bringing it back, and the the, the fans have gone bananas for Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> I mean, we're That's talking awesome. about a show. We're talking about a show that aired, you know, predominantly on cable television. Yeah. In the nineties and two thousands, yeah, there that was show. a version yeah. from the sixties. Yeah, there was a version from the sixties also that was that that that, that we're not going to quite we're not going to air just yet. Okay. But, but I mean, you're looking at a at a at a, at a show that was a cable show from the nineties and two thousands, which has such a great following, and and people are so excited to see it come back, and. You know, who's to say that 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 excitement doesn't allow us to then sell it in somewhere else or, you know, bring it back as a as a as a, as a modern show or anything like that. The good thing about it is, is that all of a sudden we are we're generating revenue on this old content, which allows us to take it from three quarter inch tape and digitize it. Sure. Right? So now all of a sudden we have a file based library that we can now leverage on Amazon Prime, we can we can put you know we can put it on any of the streaming services. We are available on Amazon Prime already, so you know and 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 those are shocking numbers. You're seeing people watching you know millions of minutes of of our shows, which 
look, we, we knew that they were popular, but we didn't realize that they were that popular. And, and, and we've been so pleasantly surprised by the folks at, at Amazon. It's, 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 it's great. And it really is helping us build a brand around our vintage game show content. Sure. No, that's great. And that's the one, well, there's a handful of things I like about the internet, probably more than that. But what, what what's really cool about just being able to digitize stuff and put it back out there is like, you can basically watch content created within the last, like a bunch of decades, right? Where, yeah, you, like, not that long ago, like even 10 years ago, that wasn't even possible. Like there's no way you guys would have done this 10 years ago because it would have been so crazy in the amount of work and time and effort to do this. But now you guys can go back. If the content's already digitized, it's even easier, right? And then like you just mentioned, yep. you can put it out to Amazon or Netflix or both or whoever, right? Like I, I get that there's a bunch of licensing things, but then it can also be put out in in countries that never saw it originally right just through the internet which is i love that right being able to access like almost anything that was kind of ever created back you know even potentially since like the 50s like you mentioned which is really really cool yeah. right oh it's great it's great but it also it, it, it's great from a consumer standpoint but from a from somebody who's a who owns the ip it also poses a huge challenge as far as piracy is concerned, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, you know, and that's always the that's the double edged sword. It's you you're you're trying to balance the okay. Well, our content is out there. How much do we police it? Sure. And if we over police it, does it does it alienate the audience that's sure. consuming it? Yeah. So that they wouldn't consume it if we were to bring it back in a new form. Right? So you're constantly fighting internally. You're constantly fighting that battle of how much do we police, do we not police? I mean, it, I'm, we're very fortunate at Fremantle that we we are one of of um, what's called YouTube's biggest professional production uh, companies. Okay. Uh, we get more views. We get more views. You know, than you know, we're one of the top five uh, pr- professional production companies that get the most views on. Uh, on on YouTube, and th- you'd be surprised how much of that traffic is driven by kind of old clips of Richard Dawson falling down laughing because of a crazy <laughs> answer that he got on Family Feud. I mean, you'd be really surprised. There's some of those things out there that have millions and millions of views, sure. right? So then we say, you know, from our perspective, a lot of things that we look at, we just say, hey, look, those are fans who are consuming that and they're really enjoying that brand, and they're going to be fans. They're going to be fans of Family Feud. Sure. So we're not we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna clamp down on that, you know. For 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 older content that people are are consuming, from a brand standpoint, it's good for the brand, right? Yeah. No, I hundred percent agree. That that's actually quite interesting, and in, and in that you're like open to kind of talking about some of that stuff because obviously that kind of the piracy issue has always kind of been interesting, um, and. I, it's a it's a huge challenge, right? And you kind of mentioned it earlier with like the cord cutters and stuff. And I think part of the the problem, at least from from my kind of side of it, is sometimes uh, it's like more convenient and being able to watch it whenever you kind of want or on the device you want, right? And so I love kind of how 
right? And so I think part of the problem is, and it looks like you guys are kind of working to solve that, is putting it on the platforms where people consume content, right? Because I, like I, I pay for, for YouTube TV. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that. It's Google's kind of like oh, totally. live streaming plus a PVR in the cloud. And my favorite thing about that service is I can PVR to the cloud I, that I'm not tied to some box in my basement, right? So if I'm traveling, yeah. but I want to see the latest version or the latest episode of whatever show, I can just like pull it up on my phone and watch it before I kind of fall asleep in bed or my iPad or tablet or whatever, right? And so for me, that's just like a convenience that I'm willing to pay for, right? And so I love the fact that you guys are kind of moving content to to Prime or, or these other kind of streaming things or posting it online or YouTube, right? Because that's where people consume content, right? And I think that's probably at the core of maybe the piracy issue isn't necessarily people don't want to pay for the content. They just want the content wherever they want to consume it. Have you kind of found that as well? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that's a really good observation is that, you know, as a, as a, as a TV programmer, mm -hmm. you have to, over the last 10 years, you've had to really change your paradigm of what does TV mean? Sure. Okay. Right? To, um, you know, TV used to be the box in your living room that, you know, you either got over the air or was a cable or satellite supplier or whatever. And, and, and you lean back and you, and you watched it in your living room. And that, that's, that's where that happened. And the rest of your life was, you know, you may be on a computer and you may be doing email and you may, you know, you may go watch somebody's cat video on a, on, on YouTube, but it's changed. It's changed. People want professionally produced content any, anywhere and everywhere. And, it's, sure. and, and, and that screen is no longer just the big one in your living room. It's the little one in your pocket. Yeah. It's the one, you know, the, at lunchtime, if you missed a show and you want to catch up on it at lunch, it's the one in your office. Yeah. You know, it's the tablet that you, it's the tablet that you may be, you know, looking at in the doctor's, you know, doctor's office before you go in. It really is, this, it's the screen. It's not. It's not the location, right? So, you because of that, you have to be open to new platforms like Amazon, like YouTube Television, like uh, like Hulu. Sure, uh, there's yeah. even some some other ones. You know, there's other ones like Pluto TV yeah. that are out there. But that's a really interesting business model because it's all ad based and it's and it's free to the consumer. So, you know, it's, it's, and so then you also have to, it challenges your business models, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the famous, the famous line, I can't remember who said it, but, you know, uh, digital, uh, uh, analog dollars becoming digital dimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I can see how you might want to go there. But what we're finding is that it's, it's, it's incremental revenue. Okay. We're not really seeing a because our business isn't really, it's not subscriber base, okay. right? So we're not we're not getting MSO fees like ESPN, right? We're right. we're so so if the number of subscribers to cable television goes down and ESPN you know goes down by ten million homes and ESPN sees a giant hit because of that, we we're not we're not necessarily worried about that. Sure. We're just we're looking for eyeballs, and if mm -hmm. that eyeball comes on a phone or if it comes on a tablet or if it comes uh, on somebody's TV through cable or through the digital antenna, 
But, you know, we're an ad-based business. We're right. about eyeballs. And, mm-hmm. and that really positions us well for a, you know, a digital environment where you're monetizing that eyeball wherever that eyeball might be. Sure. No, I 100% agree with you. Because, like, I, I even, like, I'm guilty of this. Like, I'll watch something on, say, like, I'll Chromecast the TV and then I'll pick back up the same episode back on my phone or and then watch maybe another 10, 20 minutes of it. And then I might pick back up on the TV or, or a tablet or, or something. So, like, I might consume the entire hour-long show on, like, three or four different screens, right? But Yeah, to, sure. Right? And so I think... That's kind of I, I love the fact that you guys are basically doing that, right? And I, I think that's that's actually really cool that you guys as kind of a company and and you know and putting out content, kind of fresh content and and past content, I, I think is really cool. But but I'm curious then to get your thoughts on what advice do you kind of give somebody that's maybe looking to get into the business? Because you read online sometimes that it's all like doom and gloom. And then you read kind of like it's, you know, doing fine and kind of everywhere in between. And you've kind of talked throughout the show that, look, we're, we're modernizing this thing. We're putting this, we're taking old content, bringing it to new, new devices, new screen sizes. It sounds like you guys are very much like, hey, we, we're, we're adapting with what the users and the new market and the new industry are looking for. But what advice do you kind of give to people that are maybe looking to get into the entertainment kind of space? Look, I, I think that, first of all, it's, it's become so, the cost of creating good content yeah. has dropped significantly. Sure. Right? The, 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 the fixed costs of camera packages and lighting equipment, and I mean, it's really made it quite egalitarian as far as production is concerned. What's gone crazy are the talent costs. Right. Okay. So, um, so you know, shooting a shooting a pilot with kind of unknown actors is pretty on is pretty reasonable, right? You can do that. Okay. Um, but but you know, really for me, the the new wave here is 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 flexibility, okay. right? That's like to me, that's like that's the catchphrase that I that, that I discuss a lot, which is flexibility. You have to, you cannot be stuck in the mindset that my content is only going to be seen in the movie theater or my content is made for TV or my content is made for a mobile device. Sure. That might be your primary, that might be your primary outlet, but quite frankly, there's a really good chance that it's going to be seen on all of them. Yeah. Right. So you've got to be ready for that. And you have to have a mindset of kind of, ubiquitous content that 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 content goes everywhere the content's available everywhere your your consumer is so you know from that aspect you know you when we launched buzzer Mm -hmm. we we said okay we're, we're we're a tv channel and when we launched that's exactly what we were right so you to a certain extent what you're trying to do is like okay i want to get my core business right (laughs) <laughs> because sure. if I don't get my core business right, all of these ancillary areas aren't going to do anything for me, right? So, yeah, the first year and a half, we hunkered down and we, we really looked at that. And then more and more, we started looking at, we started looking at things like Amazon Prime. 
and we and and once we and we also had to get to a certain volume of content. Look, we've got a library of forty thousand episodes of game shows. Wow, like that's that's a that's a lot, and it's growing every single year, right? Because we're making we're making Family Feud, we're making to tell mm-hmm. the truth. We're ma- we you know we just brought back uh, Beat the Clock, um, and so like, we're making new content all the time. So that library continues to grow. First things first, all new content has to be in a digital format, right? That's right. like a, that's a no brainer, right? So from that aspect, moving forward, everything new has to be digital. Well, we have to go back and take those 40,000 and we have to make those 40,000 episodes consumable on all platforms. Right. So we're about, I'd say we're probably about 10% in the last, you know, in the last two and a half years, we've gotten about 10% of the way through that library. Wow. Uh, we just brought all of the, all of those operations in house. Uh, we used to, we used to have vendors doing it. Now we're doing it all internally because we're doing so much of it. And then we're, we're leveraging it on different platforms that it makes more sense for us to do it in house, which allows us to do more. Right. Sure. So that, you know, yeah. For, so it's like, make sure that your content's in a format that everybody can consume. And, and, and then when you when you come in and you, and, and you're, you know, whether it's, you know, you're always starting, you know, at the assistant level, but you or, 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 you know, or if you're coming out of grad school, maybe you're at a manager or director level, it's about having that mindset of, okay, this is what it is today. This is what co- content production and, 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 and consumers look like today. You've got to be ready for it to change tomorrow. It, 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 and, and, and it will change that fast. Sure. Um, you know, YouTube TV came almost out of nowhere. Yeah, totally. It took a lot of people by surprise. I mean, look, Sling TV. Yeah. Was, I, I, I think that that's a great example of a tradition. Dish is a really good example of a traditional media company knowing how things are going to ch- are changing. So. You know, obviously, Dish bought Sling, and they incorporated it into all of their boxes at uh, when they did the when they did the Hopper. So then, all of a sudden, you've got your cable package, which you can watch anywhere on the world in, around the world on your on your mobile device through their app. Sure, that's awesome. Yep. You can you can you can get you can get at your DVR. You can you can do all of those things. And then they came up with this. They came up with a great product which uh, i think it's called prime time anytime okay which instead of using your own dvr and using up one of the spaces in your dvr to to record any prime time show they automatically record all four major networks into the cloud oh very cool and you can access all of those shows from your phone from your laptop from your tablet Wherever it is you are, you can access all those shows on a on a time shifted basis for for seven days. Oh wow! Right. So, or and if you and if you can't get to it, you can go into it. You can highlight it. Or you you can say save it to my DVR so you can watch it later. Right. That's Another really thing. cool. So and then and then came Sling TV, which was like a pared down for cord cutters because they realized that people were cutting the cord and they wanted to get they wanted to get content some other way. They didn't want to be tied to a box. So, I mean, I think Dish really has been a, 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 a real, it's an interesting case study in a company that's looking at how 
how content is being consumed and adjusting their business models accordingly. Um, Comcast does a really good job with it with Xfinity as well. Okay. So, um, and I think, and I think that, you know, DirecTV was a little bit behind Dish in that respect. DirecTV has got an awesome product now that they're together with AT&T. Right. So they're, you know, so all of a sudden those two companies came together and they really, AT&T did did a great job of leveraging, leveraging uh, DirecTV's content deals and DirecTV did a great job of leveraging AT&T's technology and their backbone. And together, it's another great, it's another great example. So these large media companies are also adapting. It takes them a little bit longer because, you know, they've got, they've got restrictions in their deals and things like that where, you know, they can't all stream everything all the time. So, and then that's also, that's also a piece of the, it's also part, partly the network's fault, right? So, As a network programmer, I I have the benefit that I own all my content. Right. Right. So if you come to me and you are DirecTV and you say, hey, I want to put you on DirecTV, but I also want you available on Dish Anywhere and on Sling and on this and on that. I want it on VOD. Like I can say, okay, I can do all that because I have all rights to all media on my content because I own it. Well, but other other channels don't have that, right? They're acquiring content from third parties, and when they acquire those that content, they acquire it with really specific deals. Oh, okay. Well, I'm giving you the slice of the pie, which is the broadcast rights. Well, so then they can't do a cable deal. They can't do VOD. They can't do right. So it really restricts them from doing all those things. So if you're coming into a network, you also have to come in with the perspective of, well, whatever content we either produce or we buy, we have to buy all of the rights. So, you know, that's, I think that those are all things that people kind of take for granted, but then they don't, then all of a sudden they're saying, Hey, well, why can't this show, which is on, I don't know, AMC, why can't I get it everywhere? Well, okay. Well, it's because they only bought it for that particular platform. Got you. No, that's so. interesting. Yeah. Cause even when I was launching this show, like the, the show airs on FM and podcasts and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't really matter. But for my point, it's like, I had people literally say like, why do you want to air on FM? Because that's dying. And I don't think it's dying, but like the, the yeah. thing that I always felt interesting about that is, is like, I want to air my show on the current platforms that are available today. If there's a new one tomorrow and, or one dies off, then I will stop airing on the died off one and I'll try to move to the new one. Like, I don't understand why sometimes like people have that like mindset of like, it, it can only air on one vertical. It's like, well, who cares? Like, why yeah. wouldn't, to your point, like, why wouldn't you want your content air on many verticals as possible? And I understand it's more complicated than that sometimes. But like, for me as a content creator, I found other content creators come to me and say like, why are you doing that? It's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, I, it's almost like for me, it's like, I want the most listeners. I don't really care how they consume the content. I just want them to listen to it, right? If you want to listen on FM, listen yeah. on FM. If you want to listen to it on your phone, listen to it on your phone. If you want it on the browser, listen to it on the browser. Don't care. I'll put it on all those mediums, which is interesting. Well, and you bring up a good point. As a creator, you can, you're controlling all of your rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in that, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing that all of a sudden, you know, the, the ownership of your content has really become a big deal because of all of the different platforms. I mean, you go back, 
you go back all the way to Star Wars mm-hmm. and you think about Lucas yeah, and that, and you think about how he structured that deal. Okay. Yeah. Fox, you get the film distribution rights, but I'm holding on to everything else. Right. So he okay. had merged. And then, you know, at the time they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You know, so I think that Fox has, Fox has all the, the, the film. So then they, they also get TV and all those things. But then there was merchandising and then there was like sequels and spinoffs and da, 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 and this and that. So all of these other things that, 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 that Lucas held on to is really what created Lucasfilm, right? It's really, sure. that's the backbone for the, for the company that Disney ended up coming and buying, which was everything else. Sure. Right? So then the, the, the secret, the secret sauce to Lucas's empire was he owned his content. Yeah. Interesting. Right. And then you're doing, and you're doing the same thing. You're owning your content. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Right. Just cause like, uh, like this has been for me a really fun kind of side project that is kind of taken off for lack of a better term for it. And so, you know, I think as a creator and even talking to somebody like yourself, like, just trying to figure out where to put it, how to promote it, how to get it in front of the most amount of people as possible has been kind of an interesting challenge, right? And I'm not complaining yeah. because I kind of like that challenge, um, but it's interesting, right? And and then to your point, like a while ago is basically you basically have content back since like the 50s that you can decide to air or not air, which is really actually quite fascinating. And I think... We're at this like interesting point in history where you almost have, it's almost like an overload of content, right? Like I, you can binge watch for days or weeks the same <laughs> show, right? Right? Like I could literally watch, and they've been doing that on some channels right now over the kind of holidays. Like I think the best example is like uh, Comedy Central and like MTV has been broadcasting like every episode of like The Big Bang Theory and Friends, right? And like if you want to watch yeah. every episode of those, you can, and it's like for weeks they've been going, right? And and I'm not saying I've been doing that, but it, it's just interesting that you basically have the ability to do that or like online content like, you know, through Prime or Netflix. You can like binge watch entire series for days, right? Like that's a really interesting yeah. space. So Well, and I think that that's how – and, and people – and you've got to be willing. I mean, and I think it all boils down to being – got to be willing to understand that that's how people want to consume content. You can't force people to consume content in a different way. Sure. Right. They're going to consume it the way that they want to consume it. They want to consume it. If they want to watch your show on a schedule on a television network, that's awesome. Sure. It's great. Um, if they want to watch it on demand uh, at a different time, that's fine too. And if they want to watch it all together, in one giant session over a weekend, that's got to be okay too. Sure. You've got to be, you've got to be flexible and willing to let consumers dictate how they watch their own content. Sure. Uh, you know, that, that the, the idea that something is only going to outside of sports. Sure. There really isn't anything that you've got to watch at a specific time and a specific day. Uh, sports really is the only thing there that that that, and it really is the lifeblood of, blood of cable television, right? It, yeah. And and that and that that's changing also with all of the leagues kind of controlling their own digital rights and things like that. But 
the uh, you know the idea of letting your consumer tell you rather than you tell your consumer it's it's a little it's a it, it's a little disarming for a you know for a, a traditional media person to accept sure um, you know I was I was lucky enough that I was there at kind of at the beginning of mobile content in 2005 and that mindset I, I, I shifted my mindset you know 12 years ago sure so wherever I've gone after that has really been about okay oh now they're doing it this way okay cool let's go see how do we how do we address the consumer there so it's more it's more about just making sure that you're that, that people are seeing it because if they, if they want to watch it on Amazon and you're not on Amazon, well, then they're going to watch something else. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. So right? then that could then, cause then that could then cost you somebody who would say, Oh, you know what? I'm flipping the channels at home and Oh, wow. Look, it's coming up here on buzzer. I'm going to watch it on buzzer too. Right. So they may be primarily maybe an Amazon consumer, but you know, people are, people are browsing their EPGs to find content all the time. Yeah. So, you should be costing yourself eyeballs on your on your television set by ignoring the consumer on, on, on Amazon and vice versa. You know, you may be cost you, you may be costing yourself somebody who's on Amazon going, Oh wow, I saw this really cool old episode of Match Game. I really wish I could watch it on Oh wow, it's not here. That's a bummer. Well, you know what? If you were, if you know, and we are now, it's all of a sudden that viewer who was who who you maybe have caught on your channel is now consuming on Amazon and you're generating revenue on, you know, on both. So sure. I, I hate to be mercenary about it and, and always bring it back to revenue, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to make money on your content, yeah. right? Yep. So, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to do it for free and not have to worry about, about the, about the money of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have people that we hire and we have people that, you know, that, that, that we employ and we want to keep them employed and, that's kind of how I look at it. Every dollar I make, I get to save a job. Yeah. So, um, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, so then, uh, so, but yeah, it really is about just saying, Hey, let's find the consumers. Let's find how they're consuming content. Now let's put content that, that let's put compelling content in front of them. Um, and the definition of compelling content has changed, right? Yeah. Like you could, you know, you, you know, crazy cat videos are just <laughs> as compelling for some people yep. as, you know, as an episode of Game of Thrones. Yep. Oh, fair know? enough. So, yeah, I 100% agree, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Right? Right? So there, yeah. there, there's content for everybody. And I think that that's also something that, that people need to understand is that, you know, okay, so I'm, I work in a particular genre that's, that's got very passionate fans. Sure. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that there's not a marketplace for, kind of, like I said, everything from Game of Thrones all the way down to, you know, cat videos. Sure. No, that's that's interesting, man. So we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but I, I really want to kind of cover your involvement with the Media Excellence Awards and, and how did you get involved in that and why do you think it's kind of important? Well, look, I, I, I started working on it back when I was at, at AMP. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was just an idea and we really hadn't, we really hadn't put it together. And Sarah Miller, you know, she, she came to me and she said, Hey, would you, you know, would you help advise on this? 
Um, and, 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 and we did, and I think, I think it was probably about a year, year and a half later, uh, I was at a different company and, and, uh, I might've been a Sony already. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and she launched it. Uh, so yeah, it was 10 years ago. So that would have been 2008. Yeah. I was at Sony when she first did it. And, you know, it, it, it really is, especially at the time, because mobile, it started off as the mobile excellence award. Yeah. Right. And it was really, it was really important to recognize people who were breaking ground in this space, um, whether it was from a music standpoint or a traditional, you know, traditional video standpoint, or, you know, even, even things that were, that were more kind of public service, uh, charitable, um, you know, safety, those kinds of things were also really important because it, w- it was a new medium and there was nobody recognizing the achievements of those people who were really breaking new ground and who were doing fantastic things with a medium that was like, literally in its, in, its, in its nascent stages. Um, so, you know, it started off with mobile and it was, it was fantastic. And it really has been a great experience for me because as somebody who I, I, I consider myself kind of one of the early, earlier people in the mobile space, sure. uh, it's nice to see it have grown to the point where we had to change the name. Yeah. Because that's interesting. mobile is no longer, mobile is no longer just, you know, your phone. It's, uh, it, you know, laptops and, and tablets. Are, are, are just as important to that kind of that content on the go uh, consumption as, as mobile phones are. And so you go from, you go from a place where casual games were the thing mm-hmm. to the point where people are watching, you know, full episodes of, 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 you know, shows on Netflix and on Hulu on your, on, on their phones, you know, on the bus, on the way to school or, or on, like my son, you know, I've also seen it grow with my kids. Sure. You know, my son's 15, my son's 15 um, and, you know, he takes the bus to school and it's about a 20 minute bus ride to school. And, you know, he, he'll watch a full episode of something or sure. he'll watch, you know, he, so he, I think he just started, he started binging white, white collar. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Holiday. It's a great show. And so, you know, you know he'll start, He'll, he'll probably get on the bus today and binge half an episode and watch half an episode of white collar on the way to school and half an episode on the way home. Sure, right. Yeah. So you start, you start looking, you're thinking about that and you're like, wow, man, when I was, when I was 15 years old, like I didn't, I, I never, never would have imagined. The only thing I had was one of those, uh, those little handheld football games. Yeah. Right? yeah. They had the sure. little, had the little red dots on it. <laughs> yeah. that you didn't know exactly what they meant. You know, you didn't know how to play the game. Yeah. Right? So that's a, that's as sophisticated as I had in my hand. Sure. And then you see kind of what 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 mobile content has become, and it's become it's become just content, right? So that's why we changed it to Media Excellence Awards this year, and 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 I'm really proud of what Sarah put together and what the team put together, in that. It's a great opportunity to not just say, oh, you know, here are the big stars or here are the big, here are the big media companies and they're doing this and, you know, here's a pat on the back and whatever for, you know, your movie that cost you, you know, $300 million to make. 
you're, you're, you're looking at real innovators who may have done things on a totally shoestring budget, but they broke new ground. Sure. And, and, and to me, as, as somebody who really loves that particular aspect of my, of my job and of my business, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you, you become very proud in being able to recognize that. Sure. No, that's great, man. And, and, and that's uh, January 18th. And people get more information at media than the letter X and then awards.com. And I'm actually going to yeah. be there, Mark. So we'll, we'll get to meet in person. Oh, you are. Yeah. So oh, I'm excited good. to come down actually and, and meet. A, I've had a bunch of people that are, you know, that have done the media awards, you know, over the last decade kind of on the show and, it's been cool getting kind of the, the story of how everything kind of came to be and their involvement kind of early on and the transition. So it's, it's cool, right? It, I, it's, it's been an interesting ride, but we're, we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can, you know, get more information about yourself and Buzzer online. Uh, yeah. So Buzzer, you can go to, uh, um, let's see, it's, I think it's buzzer.tv is okay. our uh, is our website and um and and we you know we're as i as i mentioned we're a, we're, a, we're what's called a dot two or a digital sub channel so if you are like if you're in los angeles we're channel 13.2 okay. uh, i believe in new york we're channel 9.2 Interesting. uh and we're you know we're available we're available on dish nationwide um but we are we're, i mean we're in about 50 different markets right now and uh, 60 different markets. We have about two thirds of the, of, of, the, of the country covered from a broadcast standpoint. Um, and then we're on, you know, we're, we're on, on different cable operators around the country. So, but at, uh, you know, buzzer.tv, that's your, that's your best spot to, to, to find us and find information and you can get uh, your local listings and all that stuff. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm just excited to bring this content to you know, a new audience, and and and, and it, I was really really pleased when we got our first. We weren't rated for a really long time, and we finally okay. did a deal with Nielsen to start getting ratings and demographics and things like that. And I was really really happy to see that you know you might think that a channel that shows has shows from the 50s all the way through the 80s would have a predominantly you know. I would say retired audience, right? Uh-huh. We we have a ton, a ton of young people watching watching the channel. Interesting. Um, there, there, there is this core group of twenty five to thirty five year old men who are watching uh, Match Game and they're watching Family Feud. Interesting. Uh, and then they come and then they come back in prime, you know, to watch Password and Tattletales and things like that. <laughs> So it really, it really has been really gratifying to me to be able to see that this content's not just touching the people who feel nostalgic about it, sure. but we're opening the eyes to a whole new generation of people that, you know, this stuff's really fun. And, you know, people in the 70s and the 60s, they were, they were so much more willing to be goofy on television sure. and, not, and be less self-conscious that it's kind of refreshing to, to, to be able to bring that to people and to make, and to see young people see that and feel comfortable with it to the point where they're coming back on a regular basis. So sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. 
No, that's great, Mark. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to seeing you, I guess, next week now. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Like, again, thanks for doing this, man, and uh, we'll talk next week, and have a good rest of your day. All right, Kevin. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.